I think it's a conception that the the glasses are part of what you do to make me feel better almost immediately. This is a, this is a medical solution. The training and the aura of supplements, rightfully so, there are a lot of bad supplements out there, mm-hmm. have that tendency to bring a physician to say, well, I don't really know. You know, I'm not versed in that science. I didn't learn that in school. There's got 29 optometry school, and we won't get into the board results that you and I talked about in oh, Houston. Yeah. Um, yeah. That don't really teach uh, supplementation for vision. Hello and welcome to the Crystal Podcast and iCode Media. Today, I'm gonna have a conversation with Frederick Joey. I know I'm gonna butcher that name, Frederick, but the- You're close enough. The, <laughs> the the fun part about today's conversation is that the the information that Frederick and I are going to share with everybody today shows me a couple things. First is on a couple of weeks ago I discussed utilization data for visual fields within optometry. But that same very week that I was developing that for the podcast and for some other continuing education lectures, Frederick and I sat down and discussed his calculator related to uh, specifically macular conditions and also uh, floaters and also supplemental conditions, conditions that are amenable to supplements and how we can use prevalence data to understand what we should be expecting in our practice. And I think the really cool part for me was to understand that Yes, I think about this as a consultant or as an eye doctor, but there's other people outside of our profession that look at this data and question why, what it is that they see in the data. And so I wanted to have Frederick on today. Frederick's with MacuHealth. MacuHealth has been a big supporter of the podcast as well, both for Aaron and myself. So thanks, Frederick, for that. But I wanted to have you on today, Frederick, to talk about what you see within this data. So as always, be sure to subscribe to the be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. As you know, patients with vitreous floaters are often frustrated by their symptoms. The challenge as clinicians is to offer solutions for our patients for vitreous floaters that are effective. But more often than not, the options of YAG vitreolysis and vitrectomy are not practical because the benefits don't outweigh the risks. That's where vitreous health from MacuHealth comes into play. Previously on the podcast, I've discussed the flies study with Dr. John Nolan, and the bottom line is that I can be confident prescribing this for my patients with floaters because I can tell them a large randomized placebo-controlled trial found that after six months of supplementation with vitreous health, floaters were reduced in size by approximately 30%, and 70% of patients had an improvement in their symptoms. Vitreous health has been great for my patients, and we really feel like we have a viable option to treat patients with vitreous floaters now that we didn't have before. If you're not utilizing vitreous health for your patients, reach out to your Macchia Health representative now. I want to discuss the Myday Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be available in the parameters I want, and it also needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The Myday Toric lens features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market, the Biofinity Toric. Myday Toric now completely mirrors Biofinity Toric's parameter range, and to be clear, this means that if you can find a parameter in the Biofinity Toric, 
you can find it in the MyDay Torque. This Torque lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting processes. When prescribing MyDay contact lenses, you can feel confident about your environmental impact because for every MyDay contact lens sold in the United States, Cooper Vision's partner, Plastic Bank, collects and converts an equal amount of ocean-bound plastic through their global network. The MyDay Multifocal and MyDay Toric contact lenses will provide your patients with great vision quality and comfortable lens experience, all while making a difference in our environment. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Multifocal in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your Cooper Vision representative to get started. So Frederick, you and I had this conversation, but kind of, but let's take this back a little bit before we actually get into the calculator. Um, what were you seeing and what were you kind of curious about that made you say, let's figure this out. What, what are the metrics that we could use that would be helpful for a doctor to understand the impact on a practice? I think the first thing that uh, I always tell my team is in order to be successful, you need to know your environment. And we always assume that professionals in their own environment have a very complete and uh, thorough knowledge of the space they evolved in. Um, at, the last, uh, at the last sales meeting for Matthew I showed him a cartoon where you have those two little monkfish swimming and there's a big fish coming to them and looks at them and says, uh, hey boys, how's the water? And they just walk away, swim away. And about a minute later, one of the little fish looks at the other guy and goes, what is water? And mm. I realized that's kind of what we're looking at at the optometry level is that if you really boil down and drill down with a lot of your colleagues, most of them are still doing refraction and lenses, which is a scary proposition. Well, it is. And I think, so where did you see that? So I see that all over the place. And I see that yeah. in data that I analyze. And I wonder, am I just biased? Am I, do I have this preconceived bias where when I, when I think what you're saying, and I do think that in a lot of cases, we have all this knowledge, education, and training, but where the rubber meets the road and the value that we drive from where we generate revenue is prescribing glasses and contacts. So I see this in data. Where did you see it? So I come from not even the outside. I come from a different planet than optometry. I'm not yeah. a scientist. I am not a doctor. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm a, 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 a legally trained person. I never practiced law. and a businessman. So when we first started Matthew Elf, I used to go and talk to, I don't want to mute this. I used to go and talk to doctors and doctors' objections would be very interesting to me. It would be, um, well, I don't sell things. Hmm. Okay. So I actually did this once. I want to move a little bit this way. I actually did this once. I said, uh, oh, that's great. You don't sell things. And I just started to grab a whole bunch of sunglasses of very high-level brands and stuff them in my pockets. And a doctor looked at me and goes, <laughs> what are you doing with those? I said, well, those are free. And you don't sell anything. And he goes, oh, no, we sell those. I said, so we do sell things. And I think what I discovered very quickly, and it's not, it's not centered or it's not exclusive to optometry. Every 
body has a tendency, a natural tendency to stay in their comfort zone. So every time something new comes up, there is a pushback because that new thing, no matter what it is, and I, I had conversation with you, I had conversation with Harvey Hamlin and a lot of doctors. Optometrists thought that OCT was the end of optometry. Hmm. Now, speaking to Keith and my team on my team, I was shocked to hear that 30 years ago, I would not have been able to buy a pair of sunglasses at an optometry practice. So I started to dive a little deeper into the numbers. And obviously, we know nutritional supplements have increased in size and markets uh, by leaps and bounds for decades. They are actually uh, more non-pharmaceutical products sold than they are uh, pharmaceutical products sold today. But a very small portion of that is sold at the practice level because they think about it as I'm selling something. Where really you prescribing something. And that's a change of mentality. So in, in order to figure well, it out, I needed to drill, the, drill down to the numbers. What did you find that was the, like what's the, in the in the provider's mind, what was the difference between the prescription for the glasses that they would write and sell versus the prescription for the supplement that they would write and then sell? What was the what was the dividing line that was the mental block or that is the mental block that still exists in many of us um, to, to di distinguish those two things? I think it's a conception that the the glasses are part of what you do to make me feel better almost immediately. This is a, this is a medical solution. The training and the aura of supplements, rightfully so, there are a lot of bad supplements out there, mm -hmm. have that tendency to bring a physician to say, well, I don't really know. You know I'm not versed in that science. I didn't learn that in school. There's... There are 29 optometry school, and we won't get into the board results that you and I talked about in oh, Houston, yeah. Um, yeah. that don't really teach uh, supplementation for vision. So if you do not have that training, if you feel, I don't want to really learn what, what's there, you very easily default to say, well, you know, why don't you go to the pharmacy? But now another piece of information falls in is the science has established that about 70% of the product in my space don't have inside the box what they tell you they have in the box. Mm. There's no regulation. Yeah. So would you send your patient to go get readers like I have to a pharmacy? Because you know that the readers that are there are not the quality of the one you want to be able to manufacture with the, the lab. So there is really a... There are three things that need to be addressed. The, the education part, that's our job. The need part, it's also our job. That's kind of what a calculator is. And mm -hmm. on the doctor's side, they need to realize that the population is getting older. We're spending more time than ever on screens. Our eyes are damaged by all that. What are you going to do with this? Or are you going to wait for somebody to be blind and come back and say, well, there's science that shows that supplementation could have been helpful. 
But when I look at my patient file, there is nothing about recommending or commanding uh, supplements. And that's the stick, which is a problem because eventually uh, law firms have already started to look at, well, you're not doing your job, doc. Yeah. So that's how we started digging into numbers. And that's how we ended up with all that data that created the calculator you mentioned. Well, I want to share that too, because that's the, so I think that's a great setup for, for where we start and actually look at this. Because, okay. you know, the first thing that I love about this calculator, and, and immediately spoke to me when you showed this to me this last week or a couple of weeks ago now, um, is you started by saying, this is not me. This is not Frederick from MacuHealth coming up with these numbers. We're citing data from the CDC and the Vision Council, Council and the National Institute of Health about what to expect. And so that's that's one thing I want to I want to take just a second, Frederick, because uh, because that is important, and it's not something that I think most doctors are walking into a in with a patient for a comprehensive exam, thinking I should expect in a patient that's this old thinking I should expect 20% of them to have this problem and 30% of them to have that problem. We, we learn it. We memorize it in school. We regurgitate it for a board examination. If we can, as you discussed, if we can pass that board examination, but, um, but we don't bring that into the exam room generally in a patient who has minimal signs or symptoms, or they don't know how to tell us about those signs and symptoms when we walk into the exam room, and they don't know that we can fix or help them with those signs and symptoms. So understanding that uh, that if I expect this percentage of patients to have this problem, and I don't actually see that in my patient population, it's a me problem. Like It means that I didn't ask the right questions, or I didn't find the right things yeah. through my examination. And actually taking that that path when you walk in. Now, that doesn't mean you have to think about like, okay, well, there's a 0 .00 uh, risk of that patient having, you know, uh, multiple sclerosis and uh, and acute optic neuritis. Like, you don't have to get to that granular of a level. You can just say like, all right, patient over the age of 40, there's six things that I can't miss, right? And I, and I want to find any of those six things. So I'm going to cast a wide net on those six things. And so my point there is, Frederick, is that that speaks to me and it speaks to sort of my, my message when I talk to groups of doctors, either on the podcast or in person of, of saying, hey, let's think about what's in a comprehensive exam. We have a really wide net to cast. Let's not miss the stuff that that are that we can do things about and help patients with. Uh, and part of that is having perspective on what should I expect when I walk into the exam room. And so that's where we start here. And I'll let you, I'll kind of set that up and let you take it away from there. So we did research. What we did is we're trying to figure, is there data out there that can allow us to segment the population? And really what it came from is somewhat my own eye exam with hmm. you know, a, a doctor that you know, great guy, fantastic doctor. And I, I was laughing in the chair and he looks at me and goes, why are you laughing? I said, you never asked me anything past taking the eye acuity, uh, the visual acuity test. He goes, what do you mean? So he didn't ask me if I had problem with glare, if I had problem driving, if I had blurry vision. No, I asked you. He said, no, you asked me how you doing. That's a little too general for me to answer all those questions. And you, at time, 
to ask those questions while you were doing uh, the exam in the room, but you didn't. So the, the, that is not done. The, the visual acuity test, I always laughed with Lloyd when he took my exam, said, I learned, I learned the chart by heart in the Navy because if you didn't pass 2015, you didn't go. So <laughs> that's a problem. Uh, I think contrast sensitivity is a much better way to to do things uh, than uh, just acuity. But going back to the data, we found data at the CDC, we found data at the uh, NIH, it says NH, but it should be NIH, uh, a division console. And then we regrouped that data to figure out what percentage of the population has what. So when you look at medical conditions, the red obviously is what, I, what you would call the diseased eye. And the blue is what I would call more a healthy eye with, uh, with issues. So I presented that and I was asked, the first question is, what amount of patients, what's the average number of exam and patients you're going to see in a year? And I put 2,000 in there. Uh, I told you to, uh, I asked you that question in Houston and you said the same thing. It's going to be 2,000 to 25 on average. Mm -hmm. So by populating that number, now we find ourselves with actual data of what is in the practice. And if we go from worse to better, for lack of a better word, the 0.94% of vision threatening, we're looking at people who are very likely already gone from the optometry practice and at a retina specialist getting injections. So to me, as the non-OD in the room, I look at that and say, that's a liability out there. Because I have 19 patients that I've seen maybe for 10, 15, 20 years, and on my watch are not getting injection. Doesn't mean that it would happen if you don't, if you had used supplementation. It could happen. But you have nothing in the client's file to say, I have addressed or I have spoken to the patient about that. And you have 18% that have been diagnosed with AMD. It could be from having lost a line of vision to just have very intense drusen of, uh, of a certain size. And we know that 15% are at risk. And what's very funny is, and we'll get that in a minute when we go to the practice, and when I, was, when I presented that to the uh, uh, Florida Optometry Association in the room, I said, okay, well, how many of those 19 uh, patients are you going to convert and put on supplementation if they are getting injection? And there's a, a, a loud roar in the room, 100%. Ask boss, I don't believe you, so I'm going to put 10%. And we go down the, the, the line. So diagnose 10%. Uh, at risk 10%. So dry eye, fish oil, obviously high quality fish oil has been very good for dry eye. Dry eye is 27.2% of the population. Something that we are the only one in, in, uh, in, the, in the game right now with floaters. Uh, I was shocked to see that about 76% of people suffer from floaters. It was actually explained by uh, a friend, uh, optometrist, that if you are in your 20s, it's about 20%. And every time you had a, dec had a decade, it is another 10 point. And if you have mm -hmm. other conditions, such as diabetes, it can go through the roof. 
then you have blurred vision. So blurred vision is a low macular pigment, as we know. And you pass the the visual acuity test with flying colors, but you can see if the street coming is Main Street or First Street because it's too blurry. Eye strain, uh, that was one condition that I didn't think about, is at 32.4. Night vision, massive problem. And, and doctors will think, well, it's only elder, uh, the elderly population. I can't tell you the name. I would just say this. The lowest macular pigment my chief scientist office, scientific officer, Jim Stringham, has <laughs> measured is a starting quarterback in the NFL. Mm. And when we... When you talk to the kid, the kid actually said, well, I really don't like to drive at night. And I think Jim answered, you're not supposed to sit out for another 40 years. But you had a 22-year-old kid who had a problem with, with glare and night mm-hmm. vision. And then you have sports performance. So if you just do 10% of – if you convert 10% of these patients – do you think I should? And, do you think uh, it's fair? I could add 10% for blur vision, eye strain, night vision, sports performance? I would put zero – Right now, right now, yeah. for what practices are doing, I would put zero in those. Okay, so you're putting and I would tell you at ten percent, at ten percent, we're generous on the other categories. Look, look, Frederick, now, I think you're category. right. I, I mean, I, I, I am, I'm, I am one of those. I mean, we we use a lot of your supplements for this first, uh, for the first three, for sure, and then yeah. for dry and floaters, we use some, but a little bit less. Um, so you know, I think I think we do a better job than the ten percent in our practice, but uh, but I'm totally ignoring the other stuff that you're bringing up here: the night vision, the eye strain, the blurred vision. You know, I, I'm I'm guilty, guilty as charged, right? So that's what was yeah, helpful for me. And before we we drop down further, that's the one thing as a business guy that drives me insane. So you have the the largest drain on Medicare, Medicare Part B is anti-VEGF injections. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the more Medicare Part B goes up in volume because we don't do anything, the more Medicare Part B requires money, it means that we have to take it from the other side because it's a, it's a scale. So that's where I, that's the reason why an OCT exam is reimbursed at what now? 37 bucks. What was it when it started? Oh, it was probably 90, pretty close to that. So, yeah, maybe more, maybe more. Job. Yeah, I think it was over 100. Yeah. Not doing not doing supplementation to alleviate issues will increase the size of those issues. We're going to end up providing a strain on Medicare Part B that is going to be offset by less revenues on A, which is back to the optometry office. Yeah. So now if you scroll down, if we do 10% on on, uh, diagnose Hmm. on uh, uh, vision threatening, so the first five categories, we're looking at $93,000 of revenues, gross revenues. so, so what you're saying, yeah, yeah. To to put a, a bow on that, you're saying if I just did ten percent of the first five in my practice uh, and identified those yeah. correctly based on based on what I would expect, then it's a it's an incremental revenue of of ninety two thousand dollars. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think and we're giving seen, away. 
that you're giving away to a pharmacy and you're putting the, the, the patient at risk because you have no idea which one they're going to buy. And I'll tell you my habit. If you send me to the pharmacy to buy something, I'm going to buy the cheapest find the thing. Cheapest. Something. Yep. That's right. I mean, look how exponentially yeah. it, it goes up. Staggering. It's, that's staggering. It's staggering. Yeah, that's staggering. So for so just for the listeners, if if we just put fifty percent of, you know, patients who have vision threatening, um, vision threatening macular degeneration, or fifty percent of our patients in a two thousand pa patient population with diagnosed AMD, uh, fifty percent of those at risk for AMD. Uh, fifty percent of those patients who have dry eye on a supplement, and fifty percent of those patients who complain of floaters, floaters on a supplement. Uh, if if you look at that that metric, it's about four hundred and sixty thousand dollars of incremental revenue to a practice of of seeing two thousand patients a year. So pretty staggering. Frederick, is anybody doing this level? When you look at when you oh, look yeah, at, yeah. at your MacuHealth users, are there are there offices that two thousand people, two thousand patient population that are generating that kind of revenue? Yes, I mean one of the one that uh, was was sold practice since I won't mention his name. One location in uh, in Maryland uh, sold to a private equity group uh, as his retirement. And I believe he was at a half a million dollar of gross revenue. Jeez. So if you just do the math, and I don't want to uh, to speculate, but it's about a fifty percent net to the doctor. So it's two fifty. If you got a seven or an eight multiple at that time, that's about two million dollars of the buyout of your practice that came out from supplements wow. doing the right okay. thing. So tell me what. So I, I want to be respectful of your time. I, I'm kind of interested, and maybe for the for the listeners, maybe as a patient, if you're sitting in the exam chair, and also as as a business owner, you've heard a lot of other, you've heard a lot of doctors talk about these things. So I want to pick one that's not so easy. I think the the AMD is very straightforward in my practice. I can explain that really well. Floaters, um, floaters are are not hard for me in the sense of, of patients who have those symptoms, discussing it with them. Um, but I'm not as good. Um, what about like, how do you want it to sound? Let's say you've had floaters, you've had a PVD or you've had floaters for years and you're in my office and you say, Oh doc, I have those floaters for a long time. What does it sound like to you? If Chris Wolf tells you a compelling story about what we can do now for your floaters and what's going to make you um, act. So that's the one thing that I think should be taught in optometry school. In medical school, I, I, a lot of medical doctors, a lot of other profession don't have that. I don't know if it's a insecurity or sense of, inf of, of feeling of inferiority. If I am in your chair, and I have issues with floaters, I have dry eye, I have a hard time driving at night. I'm going to you as the medical expert to tell me what to do. Okay, 2018, yeah. CD accident, jump over a dog in a house, land awkwardly, break my uh, left fibula. When I'm at my buddy, the orthopedic surgeon to put me back together and he looks at me and he goes, there are two options. Um, we can set it, put you in a cast for three months, 
or we can put pins and plates in there and you'd be out in a month and a half. There was never a third option, or you can go to CVS and get an ACE bandage. <laughs> yeah. The patient wants to hear a solution. Then it's up to the patient to decide if they want to pay for it or if they want to do it. But floaters are, I'm fortunate I don't have them, but I've been told are very disabilitating. So you have somebody who has a, a massive visual performance issue who is looking at you, the professional, is or her eye doctor, and I have a problem. Well, there are three options. We can do a laser, that's a surgery. Uh, the other is uh, the, uh, the, this is the surgery itself. Or yeah, there is yeah. this product. I've, there's some good result on the on an early uh, uh, study. There's more study coming, more studies coming. And this is the cost, and I think it's going to make a difference. Let's come back in six months and see what it did. So I love I love what you've done there. I, I might even simplify it a little bit more because first of all, in Omaha, uh, the first the laser procedure we just don't have anybody doing it. Like we've got retinal surgeons, they just don't really they don't want to do it, and they won't do vitrectomies for floaters unless they're. I mean, the patient is begging and pleading, and so I like the fact that you gave those two options. That's something I haven't really thought about doing. Um, but then I even, I think as, as I'm listening to you, I got to simplify it just like I would simplify with my macular degeneration patients is, you know, these floaters have three options to treat. We have a laser procedure that's about 50-50 effective. We have vitrectomy, which most, the vast majority of retinal surgeons in the country aren't going to do a vitrectomy for, for floaters. And it's a high risk surgery. It's going to lead to cataract surgery. And, or we have, yeah, or we have uh, a supplement that studies show will reduce your floaters by 70%. I mean, and and we'll start you on that now. I mean, I think that's the I think that helps you just said something very. You just said something very important. You, when you when you say, "Well, we have supplement," and then you said, "We will start you on that," and yeah. that's I think where the biggest mistake is made in optometry. Yeah, if I'm the patient, you give me a choice. I want to take the least difficult one. If you tell yeah. me, there's this, not a big fan, this, nobody's going to do it. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to put you on that for two, for, you want to get two bottles. It's six months. I want to see you in six months and I want you to tell me what it is. Well, that's the other thing I like in your, in your process that a lot of us mistake. And I, and I actually would mistake as well is, is that many of us would be like, okay, well, we'll see you next year. But you're saying, which I agree. You've had a, you've got a symptom, a complaint from a patient. They have a medical diagnosis, vitreous degeneration, and there's nothing wrong with having an intervention, a treatment like you've talked about, a supplement, and we're going to follow up. And it's not like if it's not it's, better, we'll see you in a six months. Yeah. It's like, and I'm going to see you in six months to see how things are. Let's forget we're talking about supplements. Sure. I do yeah. the visual. If it was a medication. Yeah. I do the visual acuity test. I can only see the first two lines on top. Are you going to tell me, well, you know, you can go like this squinting or uh, we can get glasses. <laughs> it's up to you. No, you're going to tell me this is what you're getting. This is where, uh, go go find a pair, uh, a frame you like. Do you want contacts? It's never an option. I'm not leaving this place without some type of correction for my eyes, for my vision. So why are we not doing the same thing and carry it on to a medical problem? Because really... The part of visual acuity, 
refraction lenses is on your phone. It's, it's becoming a commodity. I don't like the, I'm not a big fan of the, the words medical optometry because I'm a big fan of optometry and I, no, and I would never say that they're not, they're, you're a doctor, you're a medical doctor. Yeah. So, but it's the medical aspect of the practice that is missed and needs to be adopted and, uh, and expanded. And if you look at the numbers we were looking at, what is the number one complaint complaint that we get from optometrists when we are at a watering hole at a uh, at an Expo West or at another sh another show? I can't well, keep staff. Yeah. Well, participate. Let them participate in there. If I go there and I need contacts. Chris, you're not going to come out of the exam room and show me how to take him out of the box, how to put him in my eyes, how to take him out of my eyes. You have an expert there on your on your staff that does that. Do the same thing there. Now, how you compensate for that is entirely up to your to your system. It can be a spiff buy bottle. It can be a, a bonus depending on how much you make at the end of the year. But now you have brought that staff, that good staff member within the system of prescribing supplementation and getting revenues from it. And then you have increased that person's uh, uh, income, which makes it very difficult to find something more rewarding and remunerating better at the competition or across the street. Now yeah. you have stability of staff. You have to run that as a medical practice and a business. And I think a lot of that needs to be done. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to build with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be built together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. One of the challenging things with patients is that when they invest in a really high quality pair of glasses and customized lenses, occasionally it can be difficult to keep those lenses clean, scratch-free, and smudge-free. Now, we have the ability with Crizal Sapphire HR lenses to offer our patients a best-in-class anti-reflective coating that is also resistant to scratches, smudges, and deposits. This means that patients spend more time enjoying clear and comfortable vision and less time caring for their lenses. 
So remember that you can provide patients with the best in quality, best in class, transparency, clarity, durability, and UV protection in a single Crizal coating. If you want to learn more about Crizal Sapphire HR, contact your Essilor account executive or visit EssilorPro.com backslash Crizal. Yeah. So I think, I, I mean, Frederick, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I think that kind of is, it wraps oh, all of this up. No, I think that, I think this wraps all of that up in, um, in how somebody else would think about our business as a patient and as a business owner that would say, what do I want to hear from a doctor? And you're telling me, you're saying you should see that patient back in six months. And I'll tell you, I, I say this all the time. In fact, I'm going to be in New Mexico, uh, this week, or I guess when this is released, I will have been in New Mexico last week. And the vast majority of what I'm be talking about is ocular disease management. What do our guidelines say? And how do you um, how do you assign value to that ocular disease management? And there's such a big miss. Uh, and and you know you can you can listen to the excuses. You know I was in I was in when we were in Houston. The excuses are well. You know, I don't have the staff, like you said. I don't have the staff to run the the visual field. I don't have the staff to run the OCT. So I, I run it. I don't run it as often as as I otherwise would like to. And I was like, I'm like to your point of of legal issues. I'm saying, do our clinical practice guidelines say you run a field every every year for a glaucoma patient if you have the staff to do it, or does it say you run a visual field for every year for <laughs> at, at least for a glaucoma? Yeah. It doesn't say if you have the staff to do it. Well, yeah, but you know, it takes a little longer. Patients don't like it. Does it say? Patients don't like it. It takes a little bit longer. So run it if you can, or if you like, no, it doesn't say that. It says you should run them every year or more if you need to. Right. So, so, but, but we, we, we empathize. I think it, the, the good thing about our profession. So, you know, this Frederick is the good thing about optometry is we care a lot about our patients. We Absolutely. care about a lot uh, and we care Absolutely. about a lot about how our patients perceive us. And, um, and we want to be a nice guy. I mean, we really do. Like we want to have good relationships with patients because we're, we're in the trenches with them in their communities. So they have to see us every day. They see us at mass. They see us in, in school. Uh, we are reachable. We're approachable, but we have to make sure that we're not letting that, uh, the concern about cost, et cetera, et cetera, prohibit us from doing what is the best thing for the patient. And some of that is just we got to get out of our way. I always said that when I'm blind and you never give me or I have massive vision loss and you never spoke to me, you never recommended, you never said anything about supplement. What are you going to tell me? Sorry, I was trying to save you money. Mm. Because I'm going to look at you and say, I was coming to you not to go blind. Let me, let me manage my wallet. Because I can always, as a patient, tell you, Chris, I can't afford it, which puts the ball back on your side. Well, if right. you really think that I need it, maybe you say, okay, listen, to start, we're going to start, I'm going to give you this one for free, and this one is full price. So now you got a 50% discount on the supplement that you're buying. But at least you did something. And when that person starts to feel better, and if it's a good supplement, they will. They will realize, okay, that's much more important than that $5 12 pumps of diabetes in a cup at Starbucks that I take every day that's costing me $6. Because this is how you have to, this is how I talk to, uh, to patients who say, well, it's expensive. I just look at them, stare. Because it's not a question, it's a statement. I'm not going to answer a statement. 
So then they say, what don't you think? I said, no, I don't think so. There are 90 pills yeah. in the box that match you. It is a 90-day supply. So it's less, it's about 86 cents a day. Go get me a cup of coffee at Starbucks for 86 cents. Yeah, it'd be that big. Yeah, that's the same person <laughs> who will go there and buy a $7 drink and every day. You'll have to do it two or three times a day. Yeah. So yeah. you're spending yeah. And they're waiting in line for 20 minutes to do yes. it. <laughs> so that's where the perspective is because if, and I think that you're absolutely right about optometry and who you are and how much you care. I think the one thing I would, I tell optometrists all the time, your patients see you as the expert. They know you're a good person. You know, they know you're part of the fabric of the community, but they still go see you as the expert. You know, growing up in France, my uncle was a doctor. He was a country doctor. People will come to the house and say, hey, what do you think? Uh, you need stitches. It's going to back. I mean, they would come to him because that was the guy who had the knowledge to solve the problem. That's who you are, collective and individual. Frederick, I don't, I don't see a better way to end it than that. Thanks right. for being on. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt, for having me. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. Thank you.